0: From the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California, I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast.
1: Uh, now I'll introduce the
2: panelists. I'll uh, start with Rabbi Stephen Blaine. He's sitting in the center. Uh, rabbi Stephen Blaine, you are a cantor and a rabbi, of course, mm-hmm. and you officiate at civil, non-religious, interfaith, spiritual, and same-sex weddings or vow renewals. Uh, rabbi Stephen Blaine, you are <coughs> one of only a handful of rabbis who offered to perform Brit Shalom, which is a ceremony alternative to male circumcision Brit ceremonies without the cutting. Uh, and um, Rabbi Stephen Blaine, you're, you're the founder of on, the online Havura Sim Shalom of Manhattan. You are the dean of JSLI, Jewish Spiritual Leaders Institute. You, were, uh, you majored in voice and obtained a BA in music education from Jersey City University. And you also have performed as a singer and actor on and off Broadway. Our next panelist member is Lori Evans. Lori Evans is a Jewish woman who, been began questioning circumcision 26 years ago. She's a mother with a 21-year-old intact son. She is a writer, speaker, and educator. She is a con- contributor to Questioning Circumcision, A Jewish Perspective, Creating Healthy Children by Karen Ransey, the author of Counseling Couples in Disagreement About Circumcision, A Jewish Perspective, and the director of No Circ New York Hudson Valley. And our third panelist member is
0: and you know a lot about me already, so let's Whom we've uh, introduced. <laughs> so let's, let's get started. Let's jump started. into the panel, if that's all right, John. Okay. Um, um, I actually, if... I was wondering if um, the panelists who are joined me, everyone just saw my story, so you all know how I came to this, but I was wondering uh, if we could start with Lori, if you could tell your story, um, you know, in brief, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, reactions to the film.
3: Okay. Um. I used to teach parents to massage their babies uh, in the mid-1980s and one day when I was at a health fair, someone left a pamphlet on my table and I wasn't happy about that. And I was talking at the pre and perinatal psychology conference and went to a rebirthing workshop of Stan Groff, he's still alive, and two men were in the corner rebirthing their circumcision. And I really didn't, I had not not attended a bris, but this was etched in my mind. And what happened is, remember this is (laughs) pre-internet, I began whenever I attended a conference, a lecture, which I did many times to promote my infant massage work and teach, to ask everyone at that time what they thought about this issue. And I was lucky enough to meet Dr. Robert Mendelson, the author of, how to have a healthy child in spite of your doctor. A orthodox pediatrician from the University of Chicago who said, if you are not Jewish, don't. It can cause infection, death, harm. And that sat with me. But everywhere else, I got very funny reactions. Um, well, that'll depend on who makes decisions in a family. And people don't bring that up to me and all kinds of things. And what I'm feeling today is a lot of emotion. Um, from this film, It, I had attended to birth of a very dear friend whose parents lived around the world and she asked me to attend the bris. and I did not yet have a son. And I'm gonna say things here tonight because I know Rabbi Steve Blaine, we homeschooled together and I know Ellie and I, um, I'm gonna come out of the closet even more tonight into a domain that I don't usually enter. But I went to that birth and I was shaking and I was looking around to the people I loved, admired, respected, who had a natural birth, were nursing and were allowing their babies to be cut. And I couldn't, I. I, I wanted to scream, how dare you? And I wanted to shake them and I, I couldn't believe I was in the room with them and my conscience, I was completely quivering and it couldn't settle because there was nowhere to process at that time. And so when my son was born, and I don't usually go on record with this, but it wasn't easy in my family. I'll keep it simple. You can read my article. Um, but. And at that time I knew that one boy had lost his penis. I knew some of the horror stories and I knew I couldn't live with myself if I allowed it. But I really didn't know how it would be sexually for my son, that information was not just not available or where I would get my support or how this would all work. Today I'm proud. Today I am proud that I followed my conscience but my heart still aches and circumcision is a Jewish mother's pain. And I have friends who say that their son's circumcision was their worst nightmare. I have two colleagues, I'm an environmental health advocate, um, whose sons were referred for second surgeries for botches. These are Jewish people who um, one opted for the second surgery and I ask the doctors when I go to conferences, just because it looks better after your surgery, what other nerves are you severing? They can't answer these questions. And um, I think the reason I'm coming out more to the Jewish community, I used to hope and believe my half sisters are Swedish, that eventually here, it would be like Sweden, where medically we would end it and the few Jews who were married to this would keep going. But this is the part I'm gonna share tonight, is that the obstetricians who do over half the surgeries in this country will not allow us to exhibit at their conference, we have tried every year. And so we stand outside to protest. And one doctor screamed at us, he said I'm Jewish and it's in the Old Testament. And my colleague screamed back, I was circumcised by a Jewish doctor in a Catholic hospital and I'm neither of those religions. And I was on the beach with my children one day called I believe by Marilyn Milos, there's a court case in Queens and I left the vacation. The couple was Greek, and the doctor was Jewish. And you know the cross-cultural part—the doctor thinking, "Well, every..." And we hear these cases all the time. It's not discussed prenatally. The mother's in the hospital. The father goes home. They sign papers, having no idea that it's even in the realm of what they're signing for. And. They, and especially people who don't speak English well, but they are never told the function of the foreskin and what they will lose. So I think the point of mentioning Mendelssohn is that he had the courage to separate, he was not yet ready, and unfortunately he died young, to separate out orthodox. He still was gonna do it for religious reasons. But I call on our medical profession to get over it and to look at the medical literature, which I understand no one had empathy for them as a child when it was done to them, and no one had empathy for them in um, medical school when they were, four, or when they were studying to be a moil when they were forced to learn this. And so we are all hurting from this. Everyone in every relationship And I'm often asked at my environmental events, um, you know, why do you do this issue? And I do many others. But this is an issue, if you talk to one person who's open-minded, we can actually change this as the percentage of the decline in this country has indicated, and it's very special for me to be in the Museum of Motherhood today with an exhibit of the suffragettes who started the Women's Right to Vote movement Because on the nights when I get discouraged, I realize they didn't stop for decades, nor will I. And I encourage those of you who are not already joining us, there's things to be done. Thank you so much for
0: being here. I want to just um, take a moment to acknowledge uh, Lori's courage. Um, Because when she started this, um, you know, she mentioned, you know, this is pre-internet. Well, that means a lot. And it takes an enormous amount of courage to be a sort of lone voice in uh, a religious community. And I think, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And thank you very much for sharing your story with us.
3: Thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's one other piece that I have to say. When I first had children, I yearned so deeply to become more a part of the Jewish community. And I cherish my colleagues Um, Dr. Mark Reese and Miriam Pollack who are steeped in the religion and avoiding this you know, uh, against, and they are against circumcision. But for me, wanting to become part of a community that I wasn't really raised with all of the traditions, some of it, but not a lot, I felt I couldn't go there. And so I just wanna say tonight that I really feel, that, and, and after Ellie's film showing last time, there was a woman, her husband forced her to have the brisk, she didn't want it, and she abandoned Judaism after this, and I think we need to go on the record to say that that is happening.
0: Thank you. Um, Rami Blaine, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about how you came to this, maybe some reactions. First of all, first of all, let me say this. Uh, Laurie, thank you for inviting me this
1: evening. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I hear the passion in your voice. And, uh, and I feel, I feel your pain and your struggle. Tell Yahweh I want to say, um, your father, you should be very proud of your father. Because, and of your film, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And it shares, um, it shares a journey that, that we, well certainly Jewish families have, uh, have undergone. Historically we know all that. I, I personally, I have three daughters. So I faced circumcisions three times, and I can tell you up front, if I had had sons, they would have had, they would have had a Brit Mila. Um, what happens in life, from my experience, is that hopefully we're all growing. Hopefully we're open to, to things that are important to us. And, uh, but those things are a combination. Those things are an amalgam of, of different thoughts. I mean, I, I'm impressed... By, by the discussion in the film about, by the, um, the orthodox rabbis especially the one who was sitting in his kitchen and said look, yeah this is it, you're right, I, I create pain that's, 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 what, that's what the covenant is and I'm impressed in the sense of, of that's, that's true if you, if you are a member of the covenant if you are an orthodox Jew that is what you're going to do and to swim upstream is, is, is it's not a place to be if, if, however, you're a, a liberal Jew, we see the other rabbi in the film, the reform rabbi, who is actually saying the same thing in her own way. And typical for our movements, we, we heard the conservative rabbi who didn't say this or that. <laughs> which I, not, and I don't mean, mean that to diminish him in any way. I, I really don't. Uh, I mean that with great cover, with great respect. But the truth is, that's what our tradition is all about. We don't have an answer. You know where you're going to find the answer? You find the answer in your heart, and in yourselves, and in your relationships, and in the way you experience your Judaism. And, I, and I'm, I'm not exploring the cultural phenomenon of circumcision for, for everybody. Uh, I do agree with that, Rabbi. It's kinda, it's, it's, it seems very silly that people who are not Jewish would engage in circumcisions. It makes no sense to me, either. Um, and neither does today from where I'm at neither does a Brit work, uh, a Brit Mila work for me because when I see the babies crying uh, in your film and I've spoken with uh, neurosurgeons as well and I know that babies under, undergo uh, there's a lot of pain involved, what your, your conclusion was absolutely right. Our, our, our faith should be about bringing healing and joy not about inflicting more pain uh, and, and so from my perspective, I'm very interested in performing um, a, um, a, a Brit Shalom or a, um, and, and you know, it, it really, you could do everything you do in, in that ceremony except the, the violent part. Everything works, what you gotta do. You can adapt a, a couple of brachot, it's, it, and it's beautiful. They can carry in the baby, although many moms don't wanna be separated from their baby, so let the mom carry in the baby. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of, of who we are today we should, we should be joyful and not hurt little babies makes no sense to me but I'll conclude by saying that you can't you, you, you can't have this discussion with the orthodox community I mean you can have the discussion but at the end you're going to come out exactly where you were in the beginning they they, they, they can't can a, priest, not, can a, can a, can a pri- priest become a priest without agreeing to be celibate I mean, I mean, you know, this is the way it is. If you're a person of faith, you, you, you either accept or you don't. Or you move outside and you become, you, become, um, you become a Protestant minister and you get married. Or you become a liberal Jew and you decide not to choose a Brit. Mila. Those are your options. One size doesn't fit all. And you can't make it.
0: And that's my opinion. So before we launch into q and I just want to respond to something the rabbi just said. I think I have a slightly different perspective on the orthodox, having grown up in that world. And my dis- the distinction that I try to make is not between orthodox and liberal. And one of the things that I found in making the film and you've seen tonight is that um, I think the liberal responses to my challenges were supremely disappointing. And in fact, I feel that the 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 honesty that Rabbi Warsh, who was sitting in his kitchen, and my father had about what this ritual is and isn't um, was refreshing. Let's and it was, it was not the liberal Jews who had that uh, understanding and that ability to be honest, intellectually honest about what's going on here. And my distinction, actually, is a hermeneutic distinction between fundamentalists and non-fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And I know quite a few non fundamentalist Orthodox Jews. So for me, um, you know, I, I understand maybe you meant you using the word Orthodox to sort of encompass what I mean when I say fundamentalist, yes. but it's a distinction that I think is important because, um, and this comes back to something that many people don't know, but I think the vast majority of Jews, um, including Orthodox Jews, believe that the human enterprise and human ethics play an essential role in the evolution of the Jewish tradition. I think even the majority of the Orthodox believe this. Getting them to understand that Brit Mila poses a conflict of values between contemporary ethics and a traditional practice is a challenge. But I think if we get them to that point, I don't know that the conclusion is foregone by any means. And by not ignoring the Orthodox, and I try to engage the Orthodox, I feel like I'm engaging with a group of people who actually have the skill set to make true legal changes to the tradition. And this is sort of one of the tragedies in my mind of post-World uh, War II Jewish, Jewish history is that you know all of my liberal heroes have failed me, mm. that the people who have the technical skill to go in and make the necessary changes to move the tradition forward, for better or for worse, are the orthodox. And so I, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, jousting at windmills here. But I, I talk to the Orthodox, and I think ignoring them is a big big mistake.
1: I, I didn't mean you should ignore them because I too am rooted in tradition. I went to yeshiva, I've in with Lubavitch. I've been have led services in the Conservative uh, synagogues and in the Reform synagogues. I've seen, I've seen, what's there. I've had discussions. I'm just. I'm I'm just thirty years down the road from you and I, I, I don't I don't I don't want to fight battles I can't even win. So that's that's where I'm at. I, I I would rather I would rather I would rather be happy.
0: I guess I'm a bit of a masochist. And with that yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to open it up okay. to question and answer. Please address your question to Lori Rabbi or Ellie.
4: I don't really have a question, but my comment is addressed to the ra- to Rabbi. Um, in the, uh, you said something interesting. I'm not Jewish. Um, I was raised Catholic, and you made a comment about can a priest become a priest um, if if uh, he doesn't if he's not celibate? And immediately my mind went to the reality that priests are are having sex with children and violating all sorts of uh, sacred communion <laughs> with, with other human beings. And there's a very, very dark energy in priests. And I think it surrounds religion in general, that mm-hmm. there's something very, very dark happening here. Um, it's borderline evil. And so we are obliged, uh, no matter what religion we are, to do everything that we can To end this abuse, violent, ritual, sexual torture.
1: Well, in defense of priests, (laughs) who who are some of whom are our colleagues, you know, um, they do some they do wonderful work, wonderful work. And and and, but but it's it's true that there there might be some some priests. It's very difficult to do what they do. I mean, it's impossible. It's an impossible mission, (laughs) if you think about it. What kind of... And it's the same thing for a baby. for, a, for as, you, as you explained, the baby has no... You can't do anything. That poor little baby's laying there. And, and it, you know, I'm just saying that being attached to faith, being, having a family that with all the pressure uh, that Eliyahu is on, you know, an Orthodox dad who's also very, very literate, very scholarly, very immersed in, 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 in halakha, in Jewish religious law... And and yet and yet just, just very warm and loving. And, and and you know, but that's the that's the that's the rule, that's the law for them.
5: Hi, I'm Daniel. And uh, I, I I've been sort of formulating a question in my mind, I'll try and make it articulate, but um, I'm Jewish, I'm gay, um circumcised, and I have certainly felt the oppressive weight of tradition, both in terms of my homosexuality and my genital integrity, or lack thereof. Um, so I, I just wanted to thank Eliyahu first for just making such a powerful, powerful film. And I, I do see a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, I feel I've been out and open for decades, but I feel, and I feel empowered to, to fight for, um, Gay and lesbian equality, but I feel, um, as someone who is is um, struggling with uh, repairing that that damage uh, from circumcision, that it's hard to voice advocacy for it right now, especially with uh, my Jewish friends, um, but even with my parents. So, um, I I guess my question is more for the rabbi or for Eliyahu, if you've seen things, I. I, I was wondering what specifically is is happening in in the more religiously observant Jewish world. What if there is exploration going on towards ways to mitigate the suffering, whether it be you know a symbolic pinprick or a substitution of ceremonies like you do of this Brit Shalom <laughs> rather than Brit miller You know what? Where where is the 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 questioning and the reworking of tradition as opposed to just the, either this response of, I'm in the covenant, therefore I do it without question, or, well, you know that liberal response of, well, we, we think it's medically uh, beneficial, so you know, we won't question that until the data changes. Um,
0: I, I'll take this, and if you have something to add, um, obviously, or contradict, as the case may be, who knows? Um, I think um, that I'm not seeing anything. Um, and there, there are a number of interesting elements that you brought up, and I want to address some of them. Um, first of all, I think, um, and th- this is ironic in a way, I think uh, gay rights um, in our culture has reached a tipping point. It happened a few years ago, I think, actually. And it's, it's mainstream, and it's wonderful. Uh, I, which is not to say that um, you know, this issue is solved or that there's not a lot of work to be done still. But it's definitely reached a mainstream plenum. And I think that um, circumcision is not even close to reaching that. I think what we saw this summer is that um, the issue kind of bobbed up to the surface of social consciousness for a few months and then kind of bobbed back down. Um, so um, the, and the irony I wanted to bring up in this is from a Jewish perspective, um, circumcision is much easier to deal with halakhically than, uh, than homosexual sex. Because the, the consequences, the rich, ritual and religious consequences of not being circumcised amount to nothing. There is absolutely nothing that an intact Jewish male today cannot do. Contrast this with, um, and I, again, I'm talking from the orthodox perspective here, but contrast this with non-Sabbath observance, and you'll see a striking difference. Jews who are not Sabbath observant are not trusted in halacha courts of law. They can't be witnesses at people's weddings. They're not trusted with issues of kashrut and make, make supervision of making sure that things are kosher. Um, so, you know, and I think the homosexual issue is actually also more fraught than the circumcision issue. So there's like an irony there. I think that like here's a here's an issue that is very easy to solve. And I mean I. Again, you don't even have to argue for the eradication of male circumcision in the Jewish tradition for everyone to be happy. All you have to do is say, this will be a decision that an individual makes at an age when they can make the decision. And it could still be, it could actually be an even more meaningful ritual, because the person would be cognizant and aware of what they're doing when they do it. Um, And it would be, you know, maybe some kind of ritual self-sacrifice, but no. No none of this is being talked about no alternatives are really being sought and as much as i love brit shalom and as much as i love the idea of it and and how it brings gender equality to this issue which is also another thing you know the sense when a, a jewish girl is born it's kind of like a less than and the relatives might not fly in for the ceremony but with a bris everyone flies in and it's a big deal so like i like brit shalom but it's not no i mean we're not there um i know that there are people who are doing them but i From what I can gather, and from having spoken to even people who officiated them, I think it's a really marginal phenomena. And um, why is this, you might ask? I think that the Jewish people are in lockdown, and I think we've been in lockdown since the end of World War II. And um, I think that's horrible, Um, and it has many manifestations. I think um, the sort of um, you know, uh, really problematic um, relationship that many American Jews have with the state of Israel is is a manifestation of this in some ways. And I think the fact that um, Jews, liberal Jews included, are not willing to um, really uh, take on the tough questions of our times and try to move the tradition forward in the ways in which we have done for centuries and in in which I am so proud of. I mean, the rabbis eradicated capital punishment from the tradition because they found it morally offensive. They did it in a brilliant way, right? You have to have warning and two witnesses, and they made all these legal sort of boundaries that basically eradicated what they considered to be a morally offensive practice. We don't have that moral courage today because, you know, half a century ago we went through a massive trauma. Uh, I think it's time to get over that trauma. Um, with, it, with all due respect, and my grandfather's a Holocaust survivor and I have a, a deep respect for what that means, you know, it's time to move on, it's time to get out of lockdown and start taking a hard look at things. Hmm. I, 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 I agree with you. That's a hard statement to make. Certainly in, in, a, in any Jewish community,
1: uh, especially if you, if you verbalize that, that opinion about Israel your contract is over, you're kicked out, and they don't want to see you hit me again. <laughs> and not only that, they will forget. But um, uh, when, you, when, you, when you say lockdown, I, I, I do relate, uh, because, it, because it is true. Liberal Jews, typically, they're, they're, there's, there's no involvement. There is no, uh, for them, a Brit, a Brit ceremony is equal to a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, or a Jewish wedding, or a sweet 16. It's one, it, they're, all, they're all wrapped up. It, that's all it means. It doesn't mean anything. Even th- I mean, the mom is thinking about the uh, foreskin or thinking about the pain, maybe, a little bit. But culturally, it's overwhelming. Women don't think... You know, it's not just the guys. The, the moms are the ones that can say, I'm not doing it. Carol was going to say, I'm not... I mean, she was she'd give me a hard time if we were going to have a boy. But most moms don't even do that. They'll say, I don't want to do it. And then they'll say, I want to do it. And then they're going to do it. And that's where we are culturally, Jewish culturally, when it comes to Brit, amongst the reform, the Reconstructionist, the secular, well, maybe not secular humanist, and, and, you know, conservative for sure. For sure. For sure. They'll go on doing it.
3: I just need to chime in here because there are mothers who really don't want to do it. And I really applaud the young people who are having these discussions before children. But once you're in a marriage, you're in a very difficult situation because you want to preserve the marriage and yet you want to protect your son. And a woman is torn to bits. Um, it's not a comfortable place and I don't think that it helps our religion, our culture, our family life or anything to have to make that um, decision. The guys it's are torn easy. to
1: bits too. You th- do, you think, do you think the men who, is the, the, the Jewish men who require that their wives sit in on that ceremony, that they give over their baby, do you think they have a clue what it really means? They don't know. It's an attachment, it's a, it's a thing, it's a connection for them. But, but it's like they have to do it because their buddies did it. The other guys that go to the conservative place that went the last High Holidays, that's the only time they saw them, because they did it. and they're in the Hebrew school, they got and the kids gotta have a, a, a Brit. But it is, there's nothing else to it. At least in the orthodoxy, there is a significance. There is a community. There is camaraderie. They're davening three times a day. They're living. They're living the life. For everybody else, there's really, it's, it's, it's insulting, to be honest with you. Let's take
0: another question, please.
2: OK. Please state your name.
5: My name is Rob. How are you? I have a question for Ellie. Um, if you were to actually have boys, I, I I could tell from your face you are not having a Brit Mila, but how upset would your father really be now, or your entire or your immediate family?
0: Well, I think um, everyone's had fair warning at this point.
5: <laughs> I could see the fair warning, and it's like. You're, I could see the expression on your dad's face, like, uh,
0: yeah. But yeah.
5: I, I've noticed he explained himself It's basically what everyone else is thinking, not even so much what your dad is even thinking. It's
0: like he's trying to agree with you. No, it would be a big, big shanda in my family. And, you know, my father, as, as wonderful a human being as he is, isn't the only member of my extended family. Um, you'll notice that my mother was absent from the film. She's a religious fundamentalist and is ashamed of my work. And,. Mm. Um, has only, ever, has only ever spoken 10 words to me about this subject. And she hates when it comes up um, at the Shabbat table or something. And what she said was, in a very uh, annoyed voice, do you think it's easy for Jewish mothers?
5: I was just going to ask you, because of her annoyed voice, you know it's probably psychologically affected her.
0: Well I don't, uh, that's all she's ever given me, that is all she's ever given me, so I can't say with any certainty what she really thinks, but I thought it was a very poignant thing to say, if if that's the only thing you're going to say, but um, yeah, yeah, no, it would be very difficult for many members of my family, I'm sure, um, and you know, they're going to have to live with that.
5: Basically
0: that's it.
1: Well, Eliyahu, so will you. You have to be strong. It's the family is, family is. is family is very difficult. Family is the most difficult
3: thing. And that's another thing I grieve. I mean, I will not go to a Britney line anymore. And some of my family members respect me, they send me articles, they talk to me, they'll even show up at a baby fair. But they will not help to prevent a briss. And they go. They will not speak up, their friends don't know what I do. And there's still the pain from that, of that. I, I do want to mention, I asked, um, you know, at the, at the um, debate with Rabbi um, Botea.
4: How was that?
3: Somebody asked him, you know, about <laughs> the pain of men and the suffering, and he said, well, no one has ever complained to me. Okay. And I went up to him afterwards, and I said, if I a know. man is along. going to vent, about how he feels, he has to feel safe. And he understood that. And many men don't even know that the sexual problems they're having are related to their circumcision, they have no idea, and it just doesn't get discussed. So because those issues don't get discussed, I think is one of the reasons it gets perpetuated. And it's something that, and I'm sure you've seen it, Ellie, because I've spoken to thousands of people at baby fairs, and it always strikes me um, why some, some will just listen, and they'll get it. And others will listen and disagree, but they're willing to listen. And then some are defensive and will shut you down and make their excuses and whatever. And it used to torment me, like why, what does it take to make someone open-minded enough not to change, just to listen? And someone said, um, "Well, some people are based in trust, and some people are based in fear, and I don't know. Um, but I spend my time with the ones who will listen now."
0: Another question.
2: I'll state your name and.
6: Hi, Anthony Losquadro. Uh, I run intaction.org. I'm going to put this question to Ellie, but anyone else can jump in on it. Uh, As you know, over the summer, there was a bill that was attempted to get passed in San Francisco that would uh, outlaw circumcision in the city of San Francisco for all all babies. And uh, uh, it got derailed, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that and whether you thought it was a good idea or not such a good idea.
0: Sure. Um Uh, I think there are two questions the first question and I was actually asked to write an op-ed for the Jewish Daily Forward earlier in the summer about this and this is how I tried to break it down there although I only addressed one side of this there are two elements to this the first element is should circumcision be illegal um, on non-consenting minors and the second question is was it wise to push through at this time in this way I think for me, the first question is: there's a clear answer to that, and that is, yes, it should be illegal. I cannot think of a single good reason for this practice to be legal anywhere in the world with any kind of religious or cultural exemption. I just, I, and I honestly tried, like as a, as a, as a thought exercise, to try and come up with a, a good reason why it should be legal, and I can't. Now, to the second question about whether or not this was wise. Um, Or strategically intelligent Um, I think there are two sides to this the first side and I really really understand where these guys were coming from on this this point the hardest thing and I'm learning this going around the country with my film now and uh, trying to promote it and trying to get it into venues and you know it's the hardest thing about this issue is getting people past the the initial yuck don't want to talk about it factor. And what they did in San Francisco, and they were brilliantly successful at doing, was they focused national and international media attention on this subject for a solid two months. I can't understate what an accomplishment that is. That's huge. Now, the other side of it is that they... Uh, with the best organized minority in the history of democracy. And I don't say that as a slam or as a slight. I'm very proud of the fact that American Jews are the best organized minority in the history of democracy. Um, I think, I wish they would be organized in a more ethical fashion and for more ethical <laughs> causes. <laughs> but um, the consequence of what, what happened in San Francisco was that um, the American Jewish community mobilized and they're very effective at what they do and they not only got the uh, ballot struck uh, the initiative struck from the ballot in San Francisco they have basically and I think it's gonna happen at this point they've made it illegal to put circumcision on the ballot in any place in California so that is definitely a negative outcome Um, so again I, I, I'm not, maybe I'm not giving you a sort of yes, no answer, but that's my reading of the situation. No, I agree, I think, it was, I think it was terrific that it was, uh, that it was
1: discussed and they brought, brought to the forefront of, uh, of everyone's ear, all the Jews in America were talking about that one, and, um, but I, I don't know if it had the desired uh, effect at the end of the day.
3: I want to say about this, except that, I mean, we know that female circumcision is banned in this country, and yet it still continues. As an educator, I I aim for people to understand why they would want to make that decision so that it comes from them. But in the meantime, many people get harmed. So if we're going to have equality, if female circumcision is banned, then it only makes sense that male circumcision should be banned. But again, um, I'm not sure where it left us. I don't know if you know where it will go from here, but it did get good media coverage.
2: <laughs> OK, we'll take, um, say, two more questions.
0: So, Let's keep rolling. We'll see okay.
7: how it goes. Say your name and Thanks. Uh, hi, my name's Kevin. <clears throat> Kevin Coltman, I'm just uh, an intactivist here. But uh, So I was actually at a wedding this weekend, and I was talking to some of my friends about this issue. And one of the things I noticed is uh, the instant reaction of a typical uh, American from a region of the country where circumcision is prevalent is just girls don't girls don't like or girls don't like guys who aren't circumcised. That's the first thing they say. Um, <clears throat> and now obviously you know rates are going down. So along those lines, I have two questions. One, when do you think you know, do you think we can hit a tipping point now that intact uh, men are more common, or sort of the next generation, are more likely to, you know, have their whole penises. Can we hit a tipping point where that stigma just goes away? And um, and then I guess along with that, do you think that a Jewish community will go along with that? Because how much how much of it is related to the stigma? Just people, a lot of people think that uncircumcised men are dirty, and then it, you know, and then it's there's something wrong with them. Um, and then the, the second question I had was. How do you get men to stand up for themselves? And because to me, it's just it's such common sense that a man should feel repulsed by the idea that part of part of his genitals were cut off. So how do you get? I'm just shocked that more men just don't stand up for themselves and say, "What's you know something was done to me that shouldn't have been done." So how do you how? What's the best way to try to communicate that with people? Thanks.
0: Um, So to the first part, uh, I think we're almost at the tipping point. To be honest with you. Um, it's very hard to get accurate figures about national rates of circumcision in the United States. And I'm very skeptical about some of the numbers that have been uh, bandied about recently. Um, but my best um, estimate about where we are right now is somewhere in between 50 and 54% na- nationwide. Um, and that's huge. That means that almost it's going to be almost 50-50. In my lifetime, it's going to pass that tipping point of 50-50. And that means that uh, a generation from now, um, there's going to be uh, quite a bit of diversity out there uh, in terms of who's intact and who's circumcised. Um, I think it's really important for women who have experience of both to speak up. And I recently interviewed uh, Aubrey Taylor in Atlanta, who's a prominent intactivist and is not shy to talk about why she prefers intact men to circumcised men sexually. Um, and. You know, this podcast has an explicit tag, and we earned it in that interview. But um, it's it's a really powerful thing to listen to. Um, and one of the things that came out of that conversation that I think was so important was that a lot of problems that lots and lots of heterosexual couples have actually come from circumcision. Um, and we articulated it in uh, Aubrey. I, I mean, I was just sort of you know, they're interviewing her, but she articulated it in such a clear and obvious way that um, I think that's those sorts of testimonies are very powerful and, and will have a great impact because if guys hear this, and I think the truth of the matter is that when women say that they don't like intact men, um, it's because it's unfamiliar to them. So, of course, they're going to say that. Um, and as the rates keep going down and as there are more and more intact men and more women are having sexual experiences with intact men... Um, I think that's going to change and I think people are going to start noticing these these differences and there will, there will be an obvious preference because there are actual sexual reasons that the, and sexual functions of the foreskin that make things uh, smoother, easier, gentler. Uh, we also touched on this really interesting concept that perhaps um, the big differences between male and female sexuality that we believe are inherent in our biology culturally are actually just the difference between intact and circumcised sexuality, um, and I think that's a really interesting concept that I'd love to see someone, you know, work uh, work further through. Uh, as for the Jewish, uh, will the Jews follow the general trend? Uh, you know, when I first made the film, I thought, no, absolutely not, because you know I had this uh, wonderful family, the Weber Schifrins, who let me into their homes, and um, you know I followed them from their late pregnancy through the circumcision and you know just you know they're so um unaffiliated and so your average jewish american family and they were very strongly in favor of this didn't even consider not doing it but i've changed my mind about that since the film was finished and i i actually believe and i think this is borne out in european countries i think that and i don't have hard data on this it's very hard to get that but i think that uh jewish uh there are many many more a higher percentage of Intact Jewish men in European countries than there are, or in South American countries than there are in the United States. And I do think that um, a lot of Jews will abandon the practice once the culture shifts. We're nowhere near there yet. Um, You know, like I said, it's like bobbing, we're bobbing up and down in and out of social awareness. But um, I do think that that will happen, yeah. Anything to add?
3: I mean, one of the hardest things when we have a booth is to deal with women who say that it's nasty or something. Um, Unfortunately, I've never had an intact lover, so I can't talk from that personal experience. Um, But what I do say to them, I say in Sudan and Somalia where this is done to women, if a man said that to me about my body, I'd be offended and I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with him. But we were asking actually Suzanne Arms last week about this and she said, you know, it's part of what perpetuates it. It's part of the, because if, if, if women didn't have that opinion, they would be more likely to want to end it. And, and so it's good to empathize with them. And say, you know, no, nobody's to blame here. I mean, some of the, sometimes when my colleagues are at the booth with me, it's very hard for them to hear a woman say that. And I understand, because you would think a woman would have protected them. But on the other hand, as I said before, we're all wounded by this. In whatever way our opinions have manifested, it's all part of perpetuating it. All
2: right, please state your name
3: and affiliation.
5: I'm Keith Mitchell. I'm the coordinator of NORM New York City. Um, I was watching the film, and the most interesting thing I thought was the fact that there are now women doing the religious procedure. And to me, that was surprising, because that seems like you know, a clear deviation of, you know, what is um, culturally or traditionally kind of the norm. And so how was your, how what was your reaction to, you know, speaking with these women that very clearly were, you know, not following the the complete religious kind of, and I'm not very familiar with the religion, but, you know, following the religious sort of covenant at the same time, not doing it in the same way that it was, kind of meant to be, I suppose, would be the best way.
0: So I was very conflicted about this because, you know, on the one hand, you know, one of my abiding problems with orthodoxy is the role of women, um, which is sort of a non-role publicly, right? That they're not, they're separated in the synagogue, they are not able to sort of lead services or participate in the rituals in the synagogue beyond just sort of being in their own little box. Um, and I mean, you know, the fact that for centuries and centuries, you know, Jewish women basically weren't allowed to learn the Torah. Um, you know, this was something that um, at the time when I started thinking critically about circumcision, this was something that was on the forefront of my mind, and I was just it was very upsetting to me. So, And Dr. Phyllis Marx also comes from a Orthodox background, and later sort of left it and became, went into this more liberal mode. Um, and so in a way, it's one, it was wonderful to me that she was empowered in that way and and in a way it was really disturbing to me also and one of the things I was trying to suggest by having um, so many women uh, who are prominent on both sides was to suggest that this kind of cuts beneath gender I think that circumcision is such a deeply embedded cultural practice that um, that that it's it's pre-gender and you know this manifests in different ways so Um, women who have circumcised their sons are extremely defensive and I'm I've been meeting a number of women along this tour who are super impressive to me who you know circumcised one or two kids and then decided not to circumcise a third or a fourth and that to me is is just astonishing courage to be able to admit that you did something that wrong um, I think is amazing but Again, so here you have this psychological mechanism on the female side. And on the male side, and this sort of gets back to something that Kevin was talking about, you have a psychological mechanism that men are protecting themselves from the truth of what was done to them. Um, and, you know, th- those, that's very powerful. So, you know, when I think about um, how this practice has embedded itself and how pervasive it is, it, it's clear to me that um, gender doesn't really play such a huge role in it.
6: I, have, I don't have a question, but I have an observation sure. that might be curious we for some of you. you. Yes, I'm Bill Volkley. I uh, happen to live on the block and saw the poster outside and said, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm also uh, an art historian and very interested in things like the depiction of circumcision. And actually, getting back to the point about women uh, circumcising uh, their children, there was a text written in the Middle Ages by the pseudo-Bonaventura Meditations on the Passion of Christ, and according to that text, uh, the Virgin Mary uh, circumcised her own son with a piece of stone because there was no rabbi available. And this is actually depicted in a manuscript, so I thought you might be interested in this historical footnote uh, so that we do have uh, at least this uh, mystic uh, making that that claim, though it probably didn't happen that way.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, that's that's very interesting. It raises a really that's this sort of subtopic in circumcision about the obsession with Jesus's foreskin.
3: Oh, yes.
6: <laughs> oh, yes. And this was taken by angels to Aachen, where it's preserved in a reliquary. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, the big point they make about uh, that foreskin is that it was the first time that Christ uh, shed blood for humanity. So I think that uh, some people do see circumcision as a kind of compensatory right for the, uh, for the uh, suffering of the woman during, uh, Christ, during a childbirth, which today, uh, of course, doesn't reflect the ancient attitude, which was a bit ludicrous because they saw childbirth uh, in the scripture, in the Old Testament, as something filthy and so forth. And before a woman could once again uh, make her appearance in public, she had to be purified in the temple. Um, And we we don't look at childbirth quite that way today. Uh, And so there are, I think, changes that will take place. Uh, And I'm sure that one day priests will be able to marry as they were in the past. You know, celibacy is not prescribed uh, by the scriptures. Uh, And in the uh, Byzantine church, uh, I I think people could marry earlier on. So this is a, a development that really got tied up in some cases with money uh, because they didn't want wealthy uh, married priests to leave things to their families. Mm. So the celibacy isn't really uh, uh, an amazing requirement and I think we're going to see priests get married and I've always felt very uncomfortable that a priest who has no knowledge about sexual matters should be advising people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you, uh, you know, on, on what they should be doing uh, because they haven't had any experience yeah, and if they had cool. a family right. and if they had children, they might be actually in a better position to give advice. Right. Well, anyway, i better shut
0: up. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to thank uh, my co-panelists for being so wonderful and articulate and thanks for sharing your perspectives and, and being here, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I believe Laurie has an announcement, and then we'll jump into taking a look at the next reason why the Jewish community is going to come, a, come around to hating me some more. Yeah. <laughs> That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.